Hello bookworms. Before we begin this episode, we wanted to take a minute to address the ongoing situation with books being banned from libraries and schools in Florida under last year's bill signed by Governor DeSantis. It specifies that books must be individually vetted before children have access to them. This has led to empty shelves in schools and libraries across the state. Books dealing with themes of queerness and race are being disproportionately penalised. Pen America found that of books banned in the US between June 2021 and July 2022, 41% had LGBTQ themes, protagonists, or prominent secondary characters whilst 40% had characters of colour as primary or prominent secondary characters. Books sent out by teachers or librarians that are deemed pornographic could land them with a Class 3 felony. This means prison time and the loss of the right to vote. Family-friendly LGBTQ books are already being stamped with the pornographic label. For example, Richard Peck's The Best Man was banned in the Duval County on this basis because it features a gay wedding. Common Sense Media gave The Best Man its lowest rating for sex, romance and nudity. These bans are opposed by the majority of US citizens across the political spectrum. If you too oppose the bans, there's lots you can do to make your voice heard, especially if you're listening from the States. Visit uniteagainstbookbans.org to learn more. You can find this link and additional sources and resources in our show notes. We stand with everyone affected by the Don't Say Gay Bill and by these fascistic book bans. Know that we're with you and don't give up the fight, and when you need a place to retreat to, you are always welcome through the bookcase. Welcome to the Hidden Bookcase. Come through and get cosy. Pick a book, your favourite book, that's the one that opens this room. Inside, you'll find a warm fire, a loving cat, and a wide skylight to the stars. And a dangerously high to be read pile. I'm Morgan, I use they them pronouns, and I am cool looking bird scissors. I'm Soren, I use he him pronouns, and I am illicitly acquired ice cream. We've been friends for over a decade and always swapping books. Each fortnight, we take it in turns to recommend one another a favourite read. The first time reader tells us what they know about the book, makes some predictions about what they don't, and then we discuss our thoughts with all of you bookworms. On our shelf this month is graphic novels. So today, let's get to talking about Thieves by Lucy Bryan. Soren, tell me about Thieves. Thieves follows a teenager named Ella, who crashes a party with her friend Leslie. Unbeknownst to her, this party is being hosted by her crush. Ella gets extremely drunk at this party and ends up with a bunch of things from her crush Madeline's house. And she doesn't really remember taking them, but she has them now. She has to figure out what to do about that, just as Madeline appears at the apartment where Ella is currently living. So Thieves is sapphic, it's young adult, it's fun and cute and soft and short. I don't have an interesting story behind finding it, I just got an advanced reader copy of it on Galley, and then I really liked it. And it's translated from French. Mm-hmm which I think is our first translated book. I didn't get that until they started talking about Euros at the very end. And then I was like, hang on, <laughs> I don't think this is set in the UK or the US. I was trying to figure that out the first time as well. I think I initially thought it was the US just because of the house party culture. Mm. And then there was too much reasonable public transport. And I was like, well, this can't be the US. But they do have that whole scene where they're doing French vocab. So I assume that that was English at one point. Which is quite funny. Which also makes sense because Madeline doesn't know any French. Does she not have any French heritage? And even there's a particularly French name. I can't remember what it is now. It might be Elise. And they're like, oh, there's two of them in our class. Mm, yeah. So shall we listen to your blind? Yeah. Okay, so I know I always say that I don't know anything about the book that we're reading, but this time I genuinely have no clue. Um, I know that it is contemporary. Maybe romance. I know it's queer, obviously, because we're doing it. I know it's got it's got a review by Alice Osman on the back, um, so I trust that it's going to have good vibes. Um, and I'm obsessed with the art style from the cover, just especially the person with the the round glasses and the fluffy jacket. Yeah, that is literally all I can guess. Wild predictions. I know it's called thieves. Maybe they're thieving each other's hearts. I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna stop before I embarrass myself. Am I wrong? 
did I not have the exact same prediction for finding home? Where I was like, well, maybe they're finding home with each other. So, <laughs> symmetry. There's just also actual thievery. I do also really like the cover. I think it's a good encompassing of the art style. And I like the palette. Mm. It tells you a lot about their actual characters. Yeah. Because when you first meet Madeline in the actual book, mm-hmm. she's very much in her customer-facing, people-pleasing... Customer service smile. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas on the cover, she's like, I will cut you. Yeah. And it's like, I would die for you instantly. I don't even know anything about you and I'm already obsessed. Also, you mentioned her clothes. I love the fashion in this. It's so cute. And they get to do so many little outfits because they're jumping from party to party. And Madeline's clothes in particular are so adorable. Yes. Oh my god. The fur coat on the cover. Yes. Who gets away with wearing a fur coat to school? It's giving Gigi from Booksmart. I really like the style. It's so pretty. It's so cute. It's very reminiscent of Tilly Walden and Mm. Alice Osman, but it's so distinct at the same time. Yeah, I think on my initial review, I said both. If you like Tilly Walden and if you like Alice Osman, you should be reading this. So same brain cell. But it, it feels very unique, and I love the way that Brian draws expressions. They're very expressive, that sounds silly. And there's like a good level of deciding between overly detailed, and then you'll have bits which are deliberately drawn a bit more wonky and skewed and less detailed, because they're supposed to be dynamic, which is a very cool way of doing it. Yeah, precisely. Like sometimes on the outside at night, the backgrounds will be quite simple, but that works because it draws your focus to the characters. But then some of the interiors are incredibly, incredibly detailed, which I absolutely love. I love Ella's studio. It's so fun. The little scene where she's showing Madeline around. And it takes her that long to ask Madeline where she's there. <laughs> yeah, she's like, wait, let me first of all make you tea and give you a tour. Ella has impeccable manners, honestly. Even if I liked this person, I'd be like, why are you at my house though? <laughs> yeah. And the monkey ears that everybody has, the little round ears. They just make everybody more adorable. And the colour palettes? The limited colour palettes is so good. If you can't do full colour, which obviously is more expensive and a lot more work, so there's many reasons to avoid it. This is such a fun way of getting some colour in and then using it to evoke mood. Having different parties have different colours to like mm. give them a different feel. And certain transitions. Like One of my favourite panels is when Madeline is talking to her parents and saying that she's going to look after the house. And then it transitions to her at the party. And it's from this soft yellow to this really vibrant, angry red. And her expression completely changes from her little customer service smile to the dead eyes. It's so good. And all the like metaphorical drowning bits. Yes. Where like the tide is rising. Oh my god. Like Finding Home, this has that thing of using the panels to evoke the character, like when Ella gets drunk and they're all shaky and confusing. That's really fun. (laughs) When they're in the closet together and the light is like over their faces and like the little strips of light. Yeah. And then they've got their hands over each other's mouths. Instantly, I was like, this is, this is perfect. And then Madeline licks Ella's hand. (laughs) Iconic behaviour, honestly. I love her so much. When I picked this up and I mentioned this in my initial review as well, I was really concerned by the whole... Ella having this crush on a girl she doesn't really know, and from the first impression Madeline gave, I was concerned that she was going to be a cipher. Just deathless and boring to read, honestly. But I think sometimes, you know, romance novels in particular, especially if they have the getting together at the end, which doesn't happen here, they actually get together fairly quickly. Mm. Sometimes one of the characters gets no character, and they're just sort of a win state, while the main character has all of the progression, whereas this is obviously not the case here. 
Mm. They get together and then they suddenly have to deal with the fact that they are both fully realised people. It reminded me a little bit of Paper Towns, which is the only John Green novel I've ever read because John Green's brand is very specifically, here's a manic pixie dream girl who the main character is obsessed with. And the entire book is about him realising that she's a real person Mm -hmm. and not a manic pixie dream girl, which I really like as a deconstruction of the trope. And there was a lot of that in here of Ella being like, oh my God, Madeline, she's perfect. And then having to come to terms with the fact that Madeline is a real person and also needs help. Yes. I love them so much. They're so cute. I was really worried going in. I was really Mm -hmm. stressed because of the way that they first met. Yeah. The whole like lying, deking yourself in too far and then having to turn around. Like, I I know that it's a brand that I'm kind of obsessed with, but I also hate reading it. I was very (laughs) stressed about that. But then when it turned out that they'd both stolen stuff and so they both sank down onto the level, I was like, okay, this is the best way to solve that trope. Because when that trope is solved by somebody being like, you've got to change. hate that. But when the other character is like, no, I'm I'm also like this. Like I stole all that stuff in the first place. <laughs> it's fine then. It's a good thing I didn't steal something else that you'd bought properly with your own money. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be funny if there was like one thing that was actually hers and she was like, hey, that is mine. <laughs> Give that back. You know, sometimes you just need to thieve in order to feel a sense of control over the world. Exactly. And I have to say, Kleptomania is a weird one. Like, it's in the DSM-5. I don't know if they've talked about whether or not it's going to be in the DSM-6, because I know that there's a lot of overhaul happening. And I feel like it's a bit weird to separate it from other impulse control disorders, but then I don't know that much about how it presents. But from what I've heard, people usually have other compulsive behaviours as well. But I do like that this is, it feels like a fairly nuanced portrayal of it. I feel like often when characters have an urge to steal, it's either completely played as a joke, which it's kind of played as a joke sometimes here, but not in a way that feels reductive, I think. Like, it's clearly still an issue and something that's stressing Madeline out a lot. But in terms of it being a need to exert control and a thing that she can't herself really control because she clearly does it even when she doesn't want to be doing it. I can't really think of like a comparative example in anything that I've read, so I appreciated that. I think the only portrayal I've seen of kleptomania other than this is season one, episode one of iZombie. Oh uh, yeah. It is played as a joke, but also like there is a lot of empathy for it because obviously the main character is experiencing it through the eyes of the character who has kleptomania. Yeah. It's fun to see another portrayal of it. Once they're returning things. Madeline has that slip where she steals something again. And then they have an argument. She kind of explains that it's a compulsion and not just something that she was doing while she was drunk. And Ella like accepts and supports her through that. But it would be really difficult to be like, and here she is stopping within the space of this very short graphic novel. Mm. So I'm kind of getting the impression that maybe she still does it by the end of this. Mm. It kind of does get left hanging. And I think that maybe some people would find that unsatisfying. I don't really mind it, but it would also be cool to see her get genuine support for that. It would be nice to see her going to therapy. Also Ella, who clearly has some kind of anxiety disorder. Ella's just like, yeah, I'm fine that I'm living alone at the age of 17. This is fine. She has secret fish. She'll be great. I love the secret fish. How does she hide them from the landlord? Maybe the landlord just never inspects. My landlord never came to see me in my first apartment for like three years. I didn't even get to speak to him. I just talked to the management company. Oof. And they never came. Even if the roof was leaking. Uh I also love that panel where Madeline is looking at the secret fish and the kind of misty in the foreground. It's just a very nice panel. The art in this is just so consistently good. Yes. It has like a whimsicality to it. Hmm. The scene where they're like, making each other over to go to the fancy party. Yeah, that's so cute. The way their hairstyles are. And the outfits are so cute. And then I love the diamond detail of the panelling around the fancy party. And then I like that you kind of get the glimpse of Leslie. And if you pay attention in earlier panels, you can kind of see a silhouette, I believe, of her. Mm. I do find it a bit funny that Leslie's like, I can't believe you've been going to parties without me, when Leslie's literally at this party 
without Ella. <laughs> That's true. To be fair, I imagine it was because it was her boyfriend inviting her to like a fancy party and she thought that Ella wouldn't be interested. Okay, but still, a little bit of a double standard. <laughs> I do love Leslie's boyfriend. He's giving big himbo energy. Honestly, also that couple's costume, mm-hmm. absolutely iconic, 10 out of 10, no notes. And then also the implication that it was them making out in the office before when Madeline and Ella were hiding in the closet. <laughs> because apparently they've just been doing this, which I guess also means that they were at that party. So, you know, maybe Leslie is, she needs to get off her high horse here. Though I guess maybe Leslie wasn't actually lying about being at these parties and Ella would just be like, oh, we're chilling at Madeline's house or something. Mm, that's true. But it is very fun when they combine forces to be gay and do crime. Yes. The fact that Leslie checks the board and is like, oh, you guys are missing the things, you're having a breakdown. We'll just do it. We'll go do it for you, it's fine. love that they make a little conspiracy board as well. Is it bad that I'd love to see them all pull off a heist? Oh my god, no, that would be so good. It would be amazing. I think they should just do more crime. If you're gonna steal, you may as well go big or go home. Exactly. Just continue to steal from grumpy people, as Molly Mock Tealip has put it. Mm-hmm. Which is, to be fair, kind of what they do at the end, because they're like, we're not giving this back. Be gay, do crime, redistribute wealth. And then buy ice cream. Where was the ice cream scene from Six of Crows? I want an ice cream scene of Six of Crows now. Six of Crows 3, leave our digo. I think they should all get ice cream, that would be fair. No one needs to die. This reminds me of when everyone was begging Rick Riordan to tell them what happened in Blood of Olympus, and he was like, they just sit in the mess hall and eat nachos for 500 pages. Is that what you want? Is that what you want to hear? And everyone was unironically like, yes, I do. Let them be happy, be safe. Soren, who's your favourite character? Oh, it's hard. I think it's Madeline. Mm-hmm. I love someone who's repressing all of their anger, as we've established. Mm -hmm. Fashion icon, as we've established. That scene where she's doing little things for everyone around the school, and you can see her thoughts of, don't ask me to do this just because I'm always nice, I hate you. No, I'm not doing that, but then doing it. Yeah. She's the embodiment of the, will you pass the salt? No, joke. (laughs) She did also just pleasantly surprise me because I was getting worried which is unfair. I don't know. I think I've been reading a couple of young adult books that just weren't very nuanced or good before this. And I was like, am I just sick of young adult? Do I just need to stop reading young adults? Have I just had enough? And then I read this and I was like, oh no, young adult can actually be really good. (laughs) It just needs to actually be written well, basically. So Mm. yeah, I feel like that's a facet of how good she was. So I always get worried that I'm growing out of YA. Yeah. I've read some really bad books recently, but then I read Legendborn and I read this and was like, oh, YA can be good. It's just not that well written a lot of the time. Teenagers deserve well written books. They do. Please give them well written books. Who was your favourite? It's got to be Madeline. It's got to be Madeline. Such similar people. Yeah. I am also a people pleaser, you know, especially Mm -hmm. at work recently. I've been like, "Mm, I need to learn how to say no. I feel that mood on a fundamental level. And just like all of the scenes of her smiling, but then all of her internal thoughts being like, I'm going to kill somebody. She's a fashion icon. I love her hair specifically. I love how floofy it is. I love the round glasses. I think she's just the most fully realized character in this book. Hmm. Ella doesn't have the same amount of characterization, even though, or maybe because she is the main character. Yeah. So we're seeing everything through her eyes, but we're not seeing her herself. Yeah. Which I feel like happens quite a lot with protagonists. I think it can especially happen in graphic novels because you're seeing everything through their eyes, but you don't have the advantage of the prose as filtered through their voice to get to know them. Thought bubbles function very differently. You have very limited space and they usually deal with your immediate inner monologue. You're not mentally describing the kitchen table you see every day, even though how you mentally describe it could reveal a lot about your character. You can't be like, it was blue disgusting colour blue because that would be like a weird thing to put in in a thought bubble the curtains were blue this made me mad that's the true meaning of it this whole time abysmal I feel like I need to caveat that I don't hate blue blue is fine it's fine it's okay 
That's a very uh, neutral statement. No, I like blue. <laughs> it gets cancelled for disliking blue. <laughs> they never use blue in any of the marketing for the hidden bookcase. It's because they hate it. <laughs> Some blues are kind of... They're not given it's all, you know? No. Oh, oh. That's my hot take. Navy? Navy? No. I like navy is controversial. I like, I like navy. navy. I think navy's fine. I like navy... And I like really like aggressively electric, like darkish blue. But then, like, this is a podcast about colors now. <laughs> the sky blue is boring. That's my hot take. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Enjoy Fair sky enough. blue. I... No, thank you. I won't. <laughs> I don't remember what we were talking about originally. Oh, yeah. Ella. Yeah. I do feel like she gets a bit less characterization. I would really love a sequel for this. I think that there's so much more for these characters. I know they're graduating, so it'd kind of be tricky. Well, it's the whole thing of once you've got into the relationship, people don't know what to do with them. That's true. So if you put them in a new setting, then that can create conflict. Over the summer after graduation, trying to figure out what they're going to do with their lives. Are they going to the same college or different colleges? Is Madeline going? Because she didn't really seem to want to. That would be fun to see. This does have a very, like, teenager-y feel in that they're very ensconced in that world. I don't think you ever see any younger or older characters, which I think is a stylistic choice. I imagine that was done deliberately, because I feel like that is sometimes how it feels as Mm. a secondary schooler. Because you're so wrapped up in your own problems of, like, school and exams, etc. To be fair, I think there might be, like, a few panels with teachers and things. But they're never properly focused on. You don't see their faces. It's just their bodies. They're very peripheral. I feel like that's the first rule of kids' fiction is get rid of the parents. Exactly. Sometimes I feel like it's too unanimously treated as a rule because I think you can tell really interesting stories where parents are involved. Mm. The thing I noticed actually in Finding Home as well was the use of not putting people's faces. When we first meet Ishan, his face isn't pictured until like volume two. It's always obscured in clouds of smoke, panels or half and half makes the impact of him showing up way more ouch i hate this man already and i haven't even seen his face it exploits your instinct of fear of the unknown basically yeah don't know how i'd apply that to thieves other than adults don't get faces adults don't get faces you don't see madeline's parents or anything Mm. and then i guess you see ella's parents in that email but that's also different because it's like through a screen yeah that doesn't count like a panel within a panel they're very like abstracted yeah I think in these it serves a dual purpose, apart from demonstrating how isolated the teen characters feel and how dissociated they are from the adults around them, I think it serves the secondary function of this is a coming-of-age book in a lot of ways, so not depicting any adults' faces drives home how scary that coming-of-age can be, how you're entering into a world you really don't understand. I couldn't find who this was translated by, but I just want to say that whoever it was did a really good job, because I feel like this feels very teenagery in its cadence, but also not region-locked, because I guess we were both having problems trying to figure out where it was set. I feel like they definitely talk like teenagers, despite the fact that they're not using local slang or really anything that's going to date it. Even some Alice Osman stuff, I'm like, you've got the Tumblr references in there. In 10 mm-hmm. years, is anyone... Well, already everyone who's on Tumblr is, like, in their 20s. <laughs> At a minimum. The way that some people use Tumblr in fiction confuses the hell out of me. I think some people just think that it's like every other social media, but like for the weird indie kids, and it's like, no, no one's posting their photos. I mean, some people are, you know what I mean? It's used in Love, Simon, like that. Yes, it's used in such a bizarre way in Love, Simon. So I just finished reading One of Us is Lying by Karen M. McManus, and Mm. it's used in the exact same way. The killer is posting updates on Tumblr, being like, I did it, and now they're all getting framed for murder. (laughs) Ha 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 ha. You're not posting that on tumblr bestie i've got a counter argument there i feel like that's exactly the kind of thing i would see on some weird blog with no followers okay but then everybody at school the next day is like oh my god did you see the tumblr post oh no oh my that's god. no talking about tumblr in public is illegal exactly i even feel we are doing it on this show <laughs> i guess instagram gets mentioned but instagram gets mentioned in the kind of way that people use it yeah instagram makes sense especially for a book like this 
But I just feel like this is going to have a pretty timeless quality. I feel like in 20 years, it will still feel relevant. Mm. Certain teen fiction, you look back on it and you're like, whoa, it feels like a relic of some kind. <laughs> I also do like that this isn't like a coming out narrative. I appreciate that those need to exist. But once again, it's kind of nice that them being queer isn't like a problem. They just are. And that's a vibe. And it's not even questioned. No, like they chat about it. but And there's no panic of, oh my god, I like this girl. But like, what if she doesn't like girls? Oh my god. Which is like, I know that that is a realistic fear, but also we've had enough. Exactly. Also like looking at a Madeline, no straight person dresses like that. So. Precisely, I could tell. But even then, I think sometimes portraying it as a fear, like, again, it's a legitimate fear to have. But I think that straight people don't usually worry that people aren't straight when they crush on them. They just crush on them. And then I would say that the majority of people are going to react fine if that person says, oh, I'm Arrow, I'm gay. They'll just be like, okay, well, it's not going to work and move on. But they're not going to feel guilty for liking them in the first place, whereas gay people do quite mm. a lot of the time. And yeah, if Madeline had turned around and been like, I like boys, I feel like Ella would have just been like, okay, and moved on to the next thing, to be honest. <laughs> but I don't think she would have felt bad about it, which is nice, because like, there is literally nothing to feel bad about. You cannot control who you like, and if they don't like you back, then that's fine. You need to back off, obviously, because you can't change someone's feelings. But you didn't do anything wrong by liking them and by asking mm. them if they were interested. On a totally unrelated note, but coming back to the use of colour in this comic, Madeline's former Billy having the orange eyes... Yes. Which is also usually connected to her stress. We've had two comics that use orange as like a negative association colour for some reason. I'm glad that we're moving on from typical red, but also what did orange ever do? What did orange ever do? I like orange. I think it works very well here though. Yeah, it's very creepy. Yeah, maybe it's just because it's such an unnatural colour, whereas if you had red, you might just be like, is he stoned? Was he crying? Red has other implications that are confusing, potentially. Whereas orange is just like, oh, he's evil. I understand. The colour of evil. Are you saying oranges are evil? Yes. I'm getting cancelled twice on this episode. Wow. Oranges are evil. Blue is a terrible colour. <laughs> oh, one thing that I do like kind of surfing back, the water being used for like panic for Ella. And that scene where they're like talking over their feelings and they're on the bed and then the bed's floating over top of the water. The panic is still there, but they're like on the little raft together. A very good like extended metaphor in a visual sense. Love it when comics do that. There's just so much you can do in a graphic novel that you can't do in a book. Are you going to become a graphic novelist now? No. I can't draw. You can draw. I promise you I cannot draw. I've seen you draw. Don't lie. Don't lie on the podcast, everyone's going to hear you. (laughs) Although, speaking of things you can do in a graphic novel that you can't do in a book, the exam scene being interspersed with the party Mm. scene at the end, that's very cute. You theoretically could do that in a book, but I think it would feel a bit clunky and forced. Mm. No, it definitely works well here. In a film or a TV show, it would also work. But because of the different colour palettes, it's really nice because it does that thing of having very different moods. Yeah, I think being able to see both at once juxtaposed is very effective. Paralleling Leslie and Madeline and Ella all doing it at the same time. I just love them. They're so cute as a little trio. And I guess Leslie's boyfriend can come to you. I've forgotten his name. (laughs) I keep just calling him Leslie's boyfriend. I feel like he wouldn't mind. He drinks his Respect Women juice. He really does. If there had to be one guy in this comic, then I'm glad that it was him. But yeah, that ending is very sweet. You could also make the argument that you're undermining the tension because clearly they're at the party and they're all fine, so Madeline must have passed. But I feel like it's that the emotional tension has resolved because it was really more about the relationships involved. Yeah. So I feel like it's not necessary to string the reader along. But I feel like it's not even really a conflict. It's just an example of how Madeline's circumstances have changed somewhat because she now has a group of friends who she can rely on. Support system. Yeah, she has a support system. As the reader, you're not doubting that. Makes sense to not try to like fake your reader out here and be like, well, maybe she went past. Like, you know she's going to pass when she gets help from her friends. It's just nice to see them working together. It can just be fluff at that point. We've done the hard part. Mm-hmm. Morgan, 
How do you feel about Thieves? What was your rating? My rating was 4.5. I've decided this year that I'm going to start giving half points, even though Goodreads won't let me. I really, really loved it. It was so cute. I read it in a couple of hours, just sitting on my bed. I wanted a little bit more to like push it up to five stars. But like, this is still a very, very good review. I'm going to be more sparing with my five stars this year after discovering I rated 86 (laughs) books five stars last year. 86. Or however many it was. But yeah, no, 4.5. Really, really cute. Really, really fun. Will be recommending it. We'll read it again. In a reversal of the common fortunes, this was a five for me. I just really liked it. I think it was just because I hadn't read good YA in a really long time. And this reminded me of everything that good YA can be. Maybe it was a little bit circumstantial. It'd been a very long time as well since I started reading something and then just didn't go to sleep because I just wanted to finish reading it. Coincidentally, that also happened with the last volume of Finding Home. I just thought it was really charming and I love the style. I do empathise in terms of like wanting more. But I think for what it is and the page time that it had, I think it really excels in that space. If people liked Thieves, do you have any recommendations? My recommendations are, if you haven't read Heartstopper, what are you doing? That seems obvious. Mm. Tilly Walden as well, mildly similar art style, usually sapphic focus, usually uh, science fiction-y elements as well, which is fun. So would definitely recommend. Third recommendation, The Girl from the Sea by Molly Knox Ostertag, which is a sapphic romantic comic about a selkie who falls in love with a girl and it has a little bit of environmentalism in it it's also very slice of life slightly higher stakes because there's some eco-fantasy elements but it had a very similar feel it also has a very charming art style that's in full color and it's very pretty and then i'm going to be cheeky and recommend something that's not a book but is a webcomic but i think it will eventually be a book because it's really good which is encore exclamation mark by miles t burks which is another slice of life young adult. This one's gay, as in two boys. One of them's trans, and a lot of their extended friendship group are also trans, which is really nice to see that representation. This one does have a little bit more ruminating on queerness and coming out, so if you're sick of that, you might want to stay clear from it. But it's just very fun, and it has a lot of heart, and the art style's really adorable, and I just think it deserves more attention than it gets. Morgan, I've just thrown, like, four recommendations out. Do you have any recommendations? (laughs) Um... I think I'm just going to second the Alice Osman recommendation yeah. and the Tilly Walden recommendation because I don't read very much contemporary, but I have read all the Alice Osman books and I have enjoyed them and they have the same kind of vibe. And even if you are listening to this and you're more of a graphic novels person, I still think that Alice Osman's novel novels are really good. And I don't think they're like high entry barrier. I think mm-hmm. even if you're not a big reader, they're not mired in complicated language or anything. They're just simple, but incredibly well-formed in their simplicity. So it makes a lot of sense that their name was on the back of this book. Do you want to know the three authors on the back of this book? Who are the three authors on the back of this book? Alice Osman. Mm-hmm. Tilly Walden. Tilly Walden. Oh, I didn't even know that Tilly was on the back. And Molly Knox Osterdag. <laughs> oh, really? I didn't know that either. Well, look at me. I'm not recommending you anything useful. <laughs> You're simply just very good at guessing the vibes. <laughs> Apparently. I'm getting more into graphic novels this year. Because one of my co-workers keeps ordering in really good graphic novels. And I'm like, I'll get that. And he's like, guess who ordered that in? It was me. And I'm like, well, stop it. Because I have too many at home. (laughs) Far too many. It's a guaranteed sale every time. He's not going to stop it. They've all figured out I'm an easy mark. Yep. They see me in and they're like, Morgan, do you know what you should buy today? And I'm like, fine. (laughs) It's a good thing you read so fast. Because it's not like a completely untenable situation. But it's close. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to slow down this year, so I've got a dissertation to write. That's why you're reading more graphic novels. Mm-hmm. Because they're quicker. 
Mm-hmm. Have I read 10 books this month? Yes. Morgan, how have you read? It's for those who are like, oh, okay, but this came out in, in late February. It's the 5th of January as we're recording this. <laughs> That's two per day. I'm getting ahead of myself now. So when I okay. fall later, I've done nothing but read for like the last three days. Okay. I'm glad. Please relax. No, never. No, I meant by reading. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'll think about it. Continuing the sapphic theme, mm-hmm. we're doing sequels in March, and the first sequel that we're reading is A Restless Truth by Freya Mask. We did A Marvelous Light last year, and we loved it, so of course we had to do A Restless Truth. It's so good, guys. It's so good. It's so good. We may have already read it. That will be out on the 6th of March. Until then, you're always welcome through the bookcase. Don't forget to scratch the cat on your way out. Thank you for listening to The Hidden Bookcase, a production of Plain Up Rod. On this episode, you heard Morgan Greensmith and Soren Brywood discussing Thieves by Lucy Bryan. You can find out more about Thieves at lucy.fr, and you can follow Bryan at heylucci on Twitter. You can find The Hidden Bookcase on Twitter at Hidden Bookcase, and on Instagram, Facebook, Tumblr, and TikTok at Hidden Bookcase Podcast. Find out more about Planar Prod at planarprod.com. Know what we should read next, or want to chat to us about what you thought of this episode's read? You can reach us at thehiddenbookcase at gmail.com, or send us a DM on social media. We'd love to hear from you. If you're enjoying The Hidden Bookcase, please consider leaving us a rating or review, or you can always tell a friend how to find us. Your whispers are the best way for bookworms to discover our show. For March, we're reading sequels on The Hidden Bookcase. On our next episode, which will be out on Monday the 6th of March, we'll be discussing A Restless Truth by Freya Mask, the second book in the Last Binding trilogy. We hope to see you then, and in the meantime, you're always welcome through The Bookcase.